Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we bring to you yet another guest speaker talk from the bi-monthly meetings of the Whitechapel Society. What you are about to hear is the August 2019 presentation by researcher and author Steve Blomer, with a talk entitled Bucks Row Inside Out. Emceed by Carl Kopic and followed by a question and answer session, Steve is the author of Inside Bucks Row, An Anatomy of a Murder, the first in what he promises will be many volumes on the Whitechapel murders. So without further ado, let's venture inside the Crutched Friar in London, England, with Carl Kopic introducing Steve Blomer. So on the 31st of August 1888, um, the body of Marianne Nichols was found in Books Row, which is now David Street, behind Whitechapel Station. And Steve Blomer here has written a book about it, and he's here to talk about it today. What we're going to do is have Steve's talk, then we'll have a little bit of a break, then ask some questions, and then I'll throw questions over to, uh, to the audience Hi. as well. So please give a round of applause for Steve Blomer. Thank you. This is sketch map of Buck Row and the immediate area as it appeared in 1888. For those who don't know it, just give a very brief description. It runs north of and parallel to the Whitechapel Road from Brady Street, which is previously called North Street, west as far as at least Thomas Street. Some would argue it only went as far as Queen Anne, but it appears that the actual position of Bucks Road changed over the years, quite honestly. The road can reasonably be described as consisting of three parts. You've got a long, narrow part, and the murder took place approximately here. That is made up of... It's lined in the north by warehouses and factories, including that of the Brown and Eagle Warehouse, Schneider's Factory, and Essex Wharf. On the southern side, you had the now sadly demolished Roebuck Public House, which may actually have been a, just a beer house at the time. It's a little bit de debatable. Adjacent to the murder site was the North-South Railway Line, which was constructed around 1875 and opened in 1876 as an extension for the Wapping to Liverpool Street line. Beyond this to the west stood the, the board school. That's the only building that still remains today. The underground line running south of Bucks Row, which is basically around here, was built a few years later and opened in October 1884. One thing that stands in people's minds is just how narrow the street was. This may be due to comments by Leonard Matters, who visited Whitechapel in 1928. He said, Bucks Row cannot have changed much in character since its name was altered. It is narrow, cobbled, mean street having on one side the same houses possibly tenanted by the same people which stood there in 1888. They are shabby, dirty little houses of two storeys and only a three-foot pavement separates them from the road. There is no more than 20 foot from wall to wall. That's actually not true. If you look at the Ordnance Survey from 1893 to 1895, wall to wall was actually 24 foot. This is not much different, but it's a narrow road, but not as narrow as other roads. Winthrop, for instance, just to the south, was only 15 foot wide. And many of the smaller roads around, such as Nelson Court, were literally only one or two foot across. One's a few examples of these tiny roads still remain today, and a good example is which stood today, up by Bishopsgate Station. Seeding west from the murder site, Bucks Row then opened into this larger space called Great Eastern Square. This name originated from the Great Eastern Railway Company, and the road then narrowed down as it got towards Thomas Street. It, before it then joined the, the narrow White's Row and proceeded on to Baker's Row. In 1864, the railway company, before they'd actually built the extension line there, 
decided they petitioned to change the name of the street. They wanted to call the whole street Great Eastern Square. Uh, it's an early form of advertising. And this was uh, recommended by the Board of Works for Whitechapel and District on Monday the 29th of February 1864. However, it seems not to have really been used, this name, for the majority of the street, and many of the maps afterwards simply listed it as being Bucks Row. In the final section of the road, which is a little bit here, White's Row, which has been there since at least 1800, if not earlier. It's one of the, one of the two roads around which names haven't changed the other one being Court Street. In, the, in this final section of the road, by 1803, Samuel Special had built a slaughterhouse, and there was a varnish factory also on White's Row by 1838. In the 1890s, Keeley and Tong built a very large warehouse complex on the northern side of the renamed Bucks Row, which is now Derwood Street. This occupied most of the western end of the road, and extended either side of Thomas Street as far as Queen Anne Street. Following the murder in 1888, the road was renamed Derwood Street in 1892, and this was applied to the combined Bucks Row and White's Row. A fuller history of what happened after 1888 was given uh, by John Bennett in a speech here at the Whitechapel Society. I gather the dissertation is actually on Casebook and on the the society's own web page. So here we see, this is one of the earliest maps that I've included. There are earlier, going back to 1688. But I started here. It's often said that the road had originally been called Ducking Pond Row, on account of the Ducking Pond, which apparently existed at the far end by Brady Street. This, however, may not be entirely accurate. Uh, while doing research for my book, uh, looking at a great number of maps, something became very clear. The original thoroughfare from Baker's Row through to Brady Street was indeed called Ducking Pond Row, but when it's split into two separate routes, north and south, it then becomes more confusing. It seems that the southern route was the, more oft, was the one which is more often referred to as Ducking Pond Row on maps, although on some it was also called Watson's Buildings, believe it or not. Uh, the, it's first specifically named as Ducking Pond Row for the lower southern section, in 1827 and in 1830, respectively. The northern section, which you can see on this one here, there you can see it's now a much wider road as shown there. You can see here we've now finally got the road split into two. You've got Ducking Pond Row on the bottom, and you've got an unnamed area on, on the top. That's the 1827 map. The 1830 map, the 1844 map also shows it blank as well, but the 1850 map now shows Bucks Row for, as the northern name. The lower route is also shown on some maps as being Little North Street in 1864, and it becomes Winthrop Street in 1866. The 1873 OS map shows both Bucks Row and Little North Street. Bucks Row and White's Row are shown as Derwood Street in the St Stanford map of 1897. Brady Street is there, at the end. Another point which cropped up in some of these early maps was um, pointed out by researcher Deborah Harif, who said that she hadn't come across a reference to Bucks Row pre-1830, but did come across a listing for Bucks Row in 1786. It also, this reference also included an area known as Coverley Fields. It seemed to be very strange as to where Coverley Fields actually was. 
Lots of research, though, has helped us to find out that Coverley Fields appear to be an area... Coverley Fields here is shown as being what was Hanbury Street or Church Street. It's also shown as being there, which is actually the top half of Charles Street and Baker's Row. It appears, in some maps, even shown in that area there, it appears its name used for that particular area rather than a specific spot. In fact, I'll just go through the details here. A search for over 70 maps ranging from 1688 to 1897 provides some answers to where Coverley's Fields was. The name appears in the 1893-96 OAS map and is north of Hanbury Street and opposite the White Chapel Union Infirmary. The name also appears in the selection of earlier maps, the Kerry map of 1790, the Danton map of 1807 and the Bowles map of 1780. The name is given to the area which is now Charles, which was then Charles Street, which is the top end of Baker's Row. It appears in the same location, the 1791 Needle Map, and it's referred to as Coverley's Row, and the Danton Map of 1814 was called Coverley Street. It should be pointed out, however, that other maps of the period, Langley and Belchers of 1812 and Fairburn of 1802, call this Charles Street. It's not the end of the story because Stratford of 1806 and Mogg of 1803 and Darcy of 1765 put Coverley's uh, fields in a different position and that is what I've just showed you on what is often referred to as Church Street. It therefore seems that the name Ducking Pond Road, we go back to that, doesn't specifically refer to Bucks Road. It refers to the whole thoroughfare which was split into two and appears to have been more often used as the name for the lower of the two roads. The ducking pond itself cannot be ignored, and it seems the pond may have been fed by a natural watercourse called the Black Ditch, which flowed from Shoreditch to Limehouse. It has been suggested that the name has its origins in punishment of ducking stalls. However, there appears to be no record of such ever occurring. It seems just as likely the name originated from the sport of setting dogs on ducks. Such occurred at sites in Clerkenwell and Mayfair, according to the Survey of London. The pond, however, though, witnessed at least two recorded drownings, the bodies of women being found in 1753 and 1798. It seems that the pond dried up as a result of over-extraction, from, over-extraction in the early 1800s by the Whitechapel Distillery, which occupied most of the northern side of Bucks Row from 1767 until 1861. Then we got on to the name of Bucks Row itself. Most people assume this is a corruption of Ducking Pond Row. However, a more likely suggestion is it comes from Mrs Mary Buck, the widow of Ralph Daviant, the rector of St Mary's in the late 17th century. The tradition of naming streets after local religious leaders is seen again in 1912 when Queen Anne and Cross Streets are renamed while conducting the research, this research. While conducting this research, an interesting point was seen in the official police report the 17th of September by Abilene, which he states, Buck's Row is a narrow, quiet thoroughfare frequented by prostitutes for immoral, for immoral purposes. It'd be nice to know where that came from, because there's no other record of that anywhere I can find. Today, the area is very changed, with only the, the board school remaining. The current expansion of the Crossrail projects resulted in the actual murder site being currently inaccessible, and the last remains of the former Winthrop Street have completely disappeared. So too is a northern section of Woods Building, although the entrance still remains on the Whitechapel Road. Sometimes it's open, sometimes it's closed, sometimes you can get in and take photographs. At the murder site itself, opposite Brown's Yard, stood Essex Wolf. 
named for the connections to, to Essex provided by the railway siding, which arrived around 1877. Next to this, the large wool warehouse of Brown and Eagle, built in 1870. Behind this stood a, a manure or animal charcoal works, which would soon be replaced by Brady Street dwellings in the 1890s. Winthrop Street has greatly altered too. Although the site of Harrison Barber Slaughterhouse remained for a very long time, the street has now completely disappeared under the cross rail development. Winthrop Street may, as, we have, as I have said before, be the real holder of the name Ducking Pond Row. It may also have been referred to as Watson's Buildings for a while. It was later called Little North Street, obviously taking its name from the adjacent North Street, um, which was Brady Street, before Brady Street became Brady Street. It was renamed Winthrop Street in 1883. Nelson Court, which ran from Winthrop Street to Whitechapel Road, apparently named, was apparently named after the Lord Nelson Public House, which stood on the Whitechapel Road. When the district line was extended east, however, most of this was, was destroyed, but a small section remained on the northern side of the railway named Nelson Place. The 1873 Ordnance Survey map also shows several roads running south from Little North Street, Devonshire Place, Harrison's Buildings, Hope Place and Pratt's Alley. Further along Whitechapel Road, the entrance to Woods Buildings remains as mentioned previously. Court Street was named for the manorial courthouse that once stood on the corner. And this remains relatively untouched. It's remarkable, one of the only, remarkably one of only two roads that has not changed its name since at least 1800. Directly opposite to the north of Court Street was once Queen Anne Street. Later renamed Wodham Street after a local vicar. No trace of this road remains today. However, at the nor northern end of Castle Main Street stands Trehorn Close. And here one can make out the former route of Queen Anne Street running north. To the east of Queen Anne Street, approximately, approximately on the site of the present-day sports centre, was John Street. That was long gone even in 1888. The area it once occupied was taken over by the railway goods yard called Great Eastern Yard or sometimes Wolf. It was here that was positioned of PC81, who, whom some have suggested may have been a place where police officers popped in for a break. There's no proof of that, but some people have suggested it and it's worth just noting. These two roads, Thomas Street and Queen Anne Street, were connected by Cross Street, which was built by Thomas Barnes, a leading builder in the late 18th century, the cost being around some £1,000 for approximately 100 houses. Cross Street has now completely disappeared. It ran between both those roads, Thomas and Queen Anne. It was later renamed Trehorn Street, again after a local vicar. Today, its location in Castle Main Street is occupied by a modern-day townhouse. Proceeding west from Court Street, we come to what now was then Thomas Street's south section. That's largely un unaltered today, although it's been renamed Fulburn Street in 1904 after Uda Fulburn, the earliest recorded rector of Whitechapel. This was also at one stage referred to as Greyhound Lane on most of the early maps, although the 1846 Rocker calls it Virginia Row. Opposite the southern section, the old northern section remains, although now renamed Castle Street, until it reaches the northern end of the recreation ground now called Lomas Street as it turns west towards Valiance Road. Directly to the north of Lomas Street stood the White House Union, the Whitechapel Union Workhouse. By 1803 there was a starch factory on the western side 
of the north end of Thomas Street, and this was replaced around 1890 by Blackwall Buildings, which were themselves demolished in the early 1970s. In 1893, also on the northern end of Thomas Street, and on the east side of the Mission Hall, a Mission Hall was built, but this was damaged in the 1939-49-45 war and was removed soon afterwards. Just north of Cross Street was a public house, the Sir John Bardicombe. To the west of Thomas Street is a recreation ground. This in itself is interesting. It was originally a Quaker burial ground established in 1687. The last burial occurred there in 1857. The area was later rebuilt as a public garden and opened in 1880. In 1888, there were buildings along the east, the entire northern length of the recreation ground, and much on the western side of the ground. The present-day eastern and western entrances, entrances are within a few feet of the 1888 positions. On the southern side of the recreation ground, a new road has been constructed, Woodham Gardens, dividing the recreation ground from the builders to the south. We now reach what was Baker's Road. This ran originally from Whitechapel Road north, the junction of Hanbury Street. However, there is an early reference to it as High Street on the Bowles 1775 map. North of Hanbury Street, it was called Charles Street, but had been amalgamated into Baker's Row by 1888. One point of interest that as, is that at this stage, Baker's Row, where Baker's Row joined Charles Street, it was a sharp dog leg. It wasn't a straight road as it is today. It was a very sharp dog leg there. And that's clearly shown in the 1873 Ordnance Survey map. However, having said that Virginia Row is a name used in 1846 for Thomas Street, it's then also used this area as well. In 1846, it's actually the, the area of Thomas Street. The 1846 map, Rocco map of 1846, shows that the northern end of what was Baker's Row, Charles Street, is called both Grug's rents and turn again lane and it's the 1856 Roku which calls this Virginia Row. Heading south down Valiance Road from Lomas Street we pass the junction with that of Old Montague Street and Hanbury Street and Baker's Row. This while still existing has much changed from how it appeared in 1888. Hanbury was the wider of the two streets being approximately 37 feet wide while Old Montague Street was 24 foot wide. Today however Hanbury is reduced to a footpath at this point, only a couple of yards in width, with the proper made-up road starting some 117 yards further away. Old Montague is easily the larger of the roads now and is six yards wide. The junction with Derwood Street remains much as it did in 1888. During the inquest, the murder of Mary Ann Nichols, Robert Paul refers to Church Row at the top of Bucks Row, and while the top of Bucks Row does not really fit, this is often interpreted as a corruption of Church Street, Church Lane, the previous name for the eastern end of Hanbury Street. Such may not necessarily be the case, however. Before Old Montague Street was entirely called Old Montague Street, the eastern end had several names. Sometimes the road was split into several short sections, each their own name. The section before it meets Baker's Row at one stage was called Baker's Lane or Street. At another stage, it was Prince's Street. The section before this was called Chapel Row or Street, and, and shown as such on the Langley and Belch 1812 and the Carey 1822, Fairburn 1802 and Carey 1790 maps. 
However, the Piger 1823 and the Biggs 1842 map show the whole of the last section leading up to Baker's Row to be called Chapel Row. I just wonder if there's a possibility that this is where they met rather than Church Street. I mean, I think either are quite open and quite possible. Now, very quickly on to, to the east of this area. Basically, these are just reinforcing what I was saying there about the name change and Bucks Row and Duck and Pond Row. Here, again, this is the Rocky 1846. You can see that Thomas Street there is referred to as Virginia Row. Whereas in this one, 1856, by the same producer, Virginia Row is here. There's Thomas Street. It's completely changed. Whole thing has completely changed. Basically, we've got here to, slightly to the west now. This is what we're doing on the walk tomorrow, basically. We've got three maps here. This is how the area appeared in 1890. All these roads are there, and if anyone's seen the Lechmere documentary, the route they suggest that Lechmere took is probably the one which comes up. There's Lechmere's home, comes across here, down there, down there. This is in 2017, you can see it's now completely changed, the whole thing. Most of those roads that were there are now completely gone. But on the walk tomorrow, we'll be tracing that route as close as we can. Bath Street, which no longer exists, is basically around here, around where the car is. That's the road which Lechmere and Robert Poole would have walked down. Between that door and those windows was the entrance to Winthrop Street in 1888 from Brady Street. There we have a nice picture of Essex Wolf in the late, 80, late 1980s. Here we have the same sort of time period looking west down past the board school. Where the sports centre is, is approximately the location of John Street, which disappeared. It was built over by the railway company. This is looking down Winthrop from the broad school, with Woods Buildings just on the left-hand side there. That little diversion sign there is the location of Queen Anne Street. Cross Street was approximately here, where that door is. And here we have two pictures of the murder site. This taken by Chris Ballista in the... What is that? Sorry, 1890s. <laughs> 1980s, I mean. And this one by myself a couple of months ago. That one there. And that is a very potted brief history. It's covered in much more detail in my work. And there we are. The... Yeah, but back at eight o'clock. Thank you very much for coming back. Uh, I hope you've got some lots of questions for Steve and his excellent presentation. I'm going to ask some questions first before we do that. And I've asked Steve to put the map up of modern day books row. Um, and Steve knew I was going to ask this question because I talk about it all the time. Right? <coughs> was that 1888? It's yeah. the same thing, let's face it. My question, Steve, is this. The other murder sites, this is the only murder where there's no witness before the actual murder yeah. of all the others. Yeah. And in Books Row, if you, if you go to Derby Street today, there is only west, east. Yeah. You can't go anywhere else. Yeah. In 1888, how did he make it back to the palace? How did the Ripper escape? Oh. <laughs> Come on! It's quite, I've read the book. <laughs> if, if, people, if people want to look at the map, um, murder site's about here. Um, what Lechmere says is that when he first sees Robert Paul, he's about 40 yards away. Well, the, from the murder site to the end of the board school, is only 46 yards. So he can 
get up, walk down here before, virtually before Robert Poole even gets to the body. He's then got, um, he can either then come down here, up Queen Anne, across Cross Street. He can then come through the recreation ground if he wants to, come out here, go up the top, go that way. Or he can come down Thomas Street and do the same. Or he can come straight down. Or he can come round and go down Woods Buildings, or Thomas Street, or a Court Street, or Thomas Street. If he... Pardon? Um, if he wants to, he could double back down uh, Winthrop Street. He could go down Nelson Court if he want, wanted to, to get out that way. Um, it's been suggested by author Simon Wood that, in fact, Brown's Yard, which is the gates where Polly was found, wasn't really locked. And that it's possible that you could have escaped into Winthrop Street there. He suggests there was a doorway to get through. I don't buy it myself, but... If so, then you've got various options that way from there. You've also got two very highly implausible, if not impossible, not quite impossible, escape routes. One is jumping down onto the railway there, which is about a 40-foot drop. And the other one is dropping down onto the railway here. Not quite as far, but far enough. There's an embankment here. You could have gone down there. But again, it's ridiculous. But I'll include them as possibles. There's about 16 practical escape routes. Um, majority of them going, all of them going west to start off with. Some go east again. Of course, we also got a chance that he may have popped into a house or a building along, along, along the way. He could even have gone into the goods yard here. How awake PC81 was, we've got no idea. He could, walk to the, he could have gone right up the end of Queen Anne Street and come out the very top there and gone, gone across the railway land there and got out. There's plenty of escape routes, none of them difficult. Of course, the actual answer is wherever John Natley was parked. <laughs> But, uh, um, yeah. parked on Court Street. Excellent news. Um, so I've, I've read um, uh, not all the book yet, but I've read most of it. And one thing I didn't know was because um, I, I should explain, I'm quite new to all this. Um, I didn't know what the Lechmere scam was. Um, it's not a term I completely it's actually agree. The, the Mizzen scam. It's a it's it's a device that's used by pro Lechmere researchers to suggest that Lechmere got out of being stopped by the police and searched by the police and taken back to the murder site. The main problem with that is that, well, basically what it is is that PC Jonas Misen, who gives the account, that Lechmere said to him he wanted by another policeman. Lechmere says that didn't happen, and Robert Paul says that that didn't happen, basically. Um... The normal, either you believe it's a big con, the only problem with that is, of course, that there was no reason under the police code for Mizen to have taken them back there at all, or to have stopped them, or to have taken their details. And they were the ones who approached him, not the other way around. He didn't take any details of them at all, addresses, names, or anything. The normal response from people who are not pro Lechmere supporters, is that it's a misunderstanding and that he interpreted you're wanted as you're wanted by now a police officer when he got there. I have a slightly different take on that in the book where I look at the idea that in fact he never intended to go down Bucks Row, that he was ignoring them completely and he only went down Bucks Row when he, when he was signalled to by PC Neil by his lamp at the junction and he only came up with this story the first time you see the story about um, him being involved, about you know, another police officer, is on the Monday morning at the inquest. There's no mention of it before anywhere at all, and that is following Lloyd's 
um, statements in the Lloyd's Weekly newspaper by Robert Poole, which are debatable and have to be treated with caution. Because they could be journalist views and Yes. Yeah. Uh, but they do suggest that Mizzen has not behaved, as far as they're concerned, correctly. Let me be clear about this. I don't think Mizzen did anything wrong. I think if he did do anything, it was purely out of fear of perception of how the press and the public would treat him if they found out that he'd been told as a woman laying there he'd done nothing about it. You come back to the microphone. That makes sense. So where would have Mizzen have gone? Sorry. Well, where would he have gone had he not been interrupted well, by... Well, his beat crossing. came along Hanbury Street, um, up and down Old Montague. Now, he meets him here. The problem is we're not sure where he's coming from. Has he come here or has he just come out of Hanbury? Some reports say he's coming out of Hanbury by Robert right. Paul and by, Neil, and by Lechmere. Some say he's, he's in... He's actually in Hanbury, some say not, Old Montague. It's debatable. But what he would have done then, his beat came all the way down here to Whitechapel Road. Yeah. On, this, on the western side of Baker's Row, he would have been here, this side. There's actually a street, there was actually a street lamp here in 1873, but we don't know if it's still there in 1888. So we can't use that, but it may have been there. Um, we've also I've done some 3D work using outside consultants. And although... From the murder site, you can't see the junction. If you go slightly across the road, about nine foot across the, the road, which we know PC Neil did, he went across to Essex Wharf, um, you can see the bottom seven foot on the eastern side and the bottom 12 foot on the... As Mizzen gets there, he just looks down to see if he can see anything with his lamp. It doesn't shine anything, but it'd be, it'd be a speck of light. Yeah. But if Neil's looking for it, looking in both directions, now possibly there's another guy passing that end, they see each other's lamps, it comes down. Again, because presumably he would have known that, when he said you're wanted in Books Row, he would have known that Neil was coming round anyway. Well, probably. The thing is they're in a different division yeah. as well. So he might not have known Neil personally, but I think it's highly likely that they may have passed each other sometimes in this stretch of road. Sorry, so he would have been down here, going south, to then go back around this way. Um, if you get Neil Bell's book, yep. um, Capturing Jack the Ripper, yep. it's actually got a copy of PC Mizzen's Beat in there. And my book contains a link to Neil's <laughs> article. Right. Neil's going to love the freebie reference there. That's yeah. very good. Um, it's my final question before I put it over to the, to the floor. So I've never understood this either, again, because I'm quite new. So the, the whole Lechmere as suspect thing has come up recently because of the documentary and what have you. And yet the slaughtermen are never mentioned, even though they're closer to the site. Well, they were mentioned first. They were the very first suspects. But not in sort of... No, they're not mentioned now because no one's pushing them. There are two or three researchers, myself included, who have looked at them. We think there may be a few questions to ask, but we're not convinced they're actually involved in the murders. And therefore you don't push someone forward just because you think they may be. Well, at least I don't, and the other researchers <laughs> well, don't. They will at some point. We just had, no one's got round to doing it yet, and that's all. Yeah. There's, there's not enough there to, to do that. The interesting bit about Tomkins, Henry Tomkins, is that on the, night of, on the weekend of the double event, he loses a family, family member. Um, earlier in the year, his father was found dead outside the slaughterhouse in Winthrop Street, dead on the floor. Most likely, his comments at the inquest, his attitude towards Baxter, because Baxter was the coroner for his dad's inquest and made some very 
unkind comments about his father. Okay. <laughs> so he may well just been getting his own back. But I think they're covering something up. What they're covering up could be a scam on work hours. It could be that girls were coming around the area much more often than they're prepared to, to admit. And there is evidence of that, isn't there? Yes. People saying, no, it's not like yeah. what you said. Yeah. Not according to the Charles yeah. Peter map. It isn't or anyway. at the outside, it could be they're actually involved in the murders. Yeah. You've also got the case where you've got PC Fane, whose cape ends up there. Yeah. Like Fane says he doesn't take it, and the slaughtermen say they only see one police officer that night, and there's Fane when he comes to collect it. So the question is, how does it get there? They're obviously covering something up. What it is, no idea at all. John Netley. Right. Let me ask, uh, open to the floor then. Anyone like to ask a question? Bill. Not so much a question, uh, just a couple of little comments. And yeah. um, I used to drink in the old Roebuck. Yeah. And it was an absolutely brilliant yeah. East End pub. Yeah. Um, really. It was a real small spit and sawdust job populated by all sorts of dossers like me. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember one night uh, some guy fell off the his stall dead drunk and old Charlie the barman simply propped him up against the bar and we all walked uh, we all sort of uh, walked over him. Sort of thing, you know. Um, but it was, it was a marvellous pub, real character, real Eastern character pub. Uh, the other thing, uh, as you mentioned, Baker's Row, which um, Bucks Row, Durwood Street ran into. Yeah, that's yeah. there, yeah. And uh, another prostitute victim associated with the Ripper murders, uh, Catherine Milet, or Rose Milet, mm. as she's often known. She was born in Baker's Row in 1859. Interesting thing. That, that will go into book number six. <laughs> <laughs> Always working. Any more questions, please? OK, we've got a couple here. Hold on a second, guys. I'm just going to... Not actually a question. Um, just regards to the ducking ponds. Yeah. Um, I've seen those on quite a lot of maps throughout the country. Yeah. And they seem to be associated with witchcraft and witches... Yes, they could, often, could they often are. They often are, and as I said in the presentation, um, there's no evidence of any of that sort of behaviour occurring in the area. And Survey of London are quite clear that uh, there are other places, one in Clerkenwell, one in Mayfair, which are called ducking ponds, are actually more to do with sp a sport, apparently, of setting dogs on ducks. Uh, which it is, I've got no idea. I put both things in the book. But much of the stuff in the book, I just give all the options that are, that are, are available. Right, thank you. Thanks very much, Steve, for an excellent presentation. Um, could you, two things, really. First of all, could you tell us about the book? Because um, I understand it's an e-book. Yes, it's an, it's an e-book. If it was printed out, it would be 544 pages long. Uh, it's divided into two parts. The first part is approximately... Just short of 200 pages. That's discussion and analysis of various bits of Bucks Row, the history, all the characters involved, the police beats, the scam, the slaughterhouse, what happened at the mortuary, um, the police and press reactions to everything. There's also a rather, I say it myself, ingenious little interactive timeline which you click on it on an event and it takes you to part of the book um, to tell you about it, almost like an in-house uh, index, but not quite. Um, it costs, comes in two different re resolution sizes. One which is 13 megabyte in size, 
and one which is 40-something. Um, for most people, the smaller resolution would be perfectly okay. On my laptop, I can just notice the difference between uh, pin sharp, 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 and very sharp. Uh, most people aren't going to notice it. It doesn't really detract from the pictures. If you're going to watch it on a f anything above 20-inch screen, I'd suggest you buy the 799 version. If you do, you get the smaller version as well. Um, there is a distinct possibility, because of comments I've received, that there may be a print version next year. If there is, then I won't be rewriting. There'll be too much work to do. What I'll be doing is issuing it as it stands, but you would then also get a free copy of the ebook, so all the links work. Uh, it's links all over the place. There's internal links between pages. There's also links to websites and information. There's over 3,000 links in, in the work. And how does somebody get hold of this ebook? How do you actually um, do it? There's an email address, uh, which I don't have off the top of my head, <laughs> uh, which I should, have, I should have done. But if people want to contact me, they can contact me at um, Inside Bucks Row at all one word at gmail.com. Um, you pay for it normally by PayPal. If you haven't got PayPal, we can always work something out, either cash or a postal order or something. Um, not a check, please, because I'm in Scotland and there's no Lloyds Banks in Scotland. <laughs> uh, and, and if anybody wants to get a copy of Steve's book and you, um, and you didn't quite catch that email address, if you want to email me, um, my email address is in the journal and I'll forward them on to Steve. Yeah. Normal for you. return time is 20 minutes. If you want a personalised co copy with me making a nice comment in handwriting, Signed, you can get that. You just need to tell me basically what you want me to say. It takes slightly longer. It adds about 15 minutes on for a copy to do, to, to do that. Right, and now my question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I say, really more of an observation than a question. I'm just intrigued about, not, not only in the area of Bucks Road, but you know, all over the country, how streets just change their names. Yes. So you look at one map and it's called one thing and you think that's definitely the same street and it's called something else. And I know in more modern times there, there are procedures for, for changing the name of a street. But, you know, but back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, how do you think that actually happened? Well, I think they didn't actually have names, proper names for the streets. I mean, a very nice little article was published on the Whitechapel Society's Facebook page the other day it was relating to a proposed name change um, by the Whitechapel Board of Works for Winthrop Street, which went ahead from Little North Street to Winthrop Street, but also suggested the change that White's Row ran from Baker's, Baker's Row all the way up to the board school. That never took place. There were official changes made, but often they just never took place. But I think early on, before about 1840, I think quite often a lot of these little side roads... The name has just changed week on week, person on person. Mont Old Montague Street, there's about f 11 or 12 different names for different sections of it, all over the place. And the sections change position sometimes as well. It does make trying to identify stuff very, very difficult. Any more? Yeah, we've got one here. Um, first meeting. <laughs> this could go wrong. Um, one of the books I read recently was um, a, a book called The, the Five Women, and um, it, it, it's, it, I thought it was just really interesting in that we, 
I'd always assumed that all of Jack the Ripper's victims were all prostitutes, but the, 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 the author... Suggests put, they're not, yes. Suggests that they're not, and that, you know, it's a crazy time in, in the morning, and that, um, actually, they, they could have been rough sleepers. Not there. Um, but what, I wondered what your opinion was. Not there. Um, there's plenty of evidence which the author of that book ignored. Um, I'm reading it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, she's putting her own hypothesis. Yeah. So you've got fiction and fact. Yeah. Confused here, yeah. and it's difficult to gauge. But she but they're ignores, not necessarily prostitutes. But she ignores evidence where there are witnesses who knew, who knew let's say, Polly Nichols, who actually say she was working as a prostitute, and they just she just ignores it. The reason she ignores it is because the reports are by men, and she says they're biased because they're by men. End of debate. But, but Anne Chapman was crocheting and doing lots of handwork yeah. to earn money. Mm. In, in my book, Jack the Ripper on the Mars, I state um, that there is no evidence that Kathy Eddowes yeah. was actually a Well, that's, that's, that's one. And um, certainly, as Doreen says, uh, the Jack the Ripper victims did earn money by other... Yeah. Uh, reasons. Yeah. Uh, for other other but ways. But it's like a big casual prostitution. Uh, it's it's, it's ca their prostitution. No, it's casual. casual. Yeah. yeah. Now to get back to to get back to the first question that was asked. If we look here, that is a cold, horrible spot. You wouldn't sleep there, rough sleeping. You've got a recreation ground here. You could go and sleep in there. You may have to climb over a fence, perhaps, if the gate's locked. But it wouldn't have been that high a fence. You could, you, could, you could sleep there. You actually had a good, big, good, big goods yard here. It's possible you could have sneak, sneaked in there and slept in there. To sleep outside a gate on a cold floor, hard floor, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. She's also a mile away from the pub she's just been in. Ah, but that's because this may be, this may be an area frequented by prostitutes anyway. Yeah. We've got the police report, which I mentioned on the 19th of September, which says it's used... Yeah. By that. You've also got Mrs. Green, who lives at New Cottage, going out of her way to say there's no bad women around here. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the um, slaughter men saying, yes, girls do come to the yard occasionally. Uh, we've got brothels in Thomas Street. We've got, we got brothels in Baker's Row as well. It's, and the thing you've got, you've got a big goods yard there, and you've got the London Hospital opposite. It's a nice catchment area for, for people to pick up clients. But again, that's speculative as well. Well then, yeah, hang on. Mm. Steve, yeah. um, I'm not altogether sure if this is regarding what we're talking about, the history of Bucks Row, but seeing as we are talking about Bucks Row, it seems to me an important question. Yeah. Do you think that Polly Nichols was targeted, or was it just a coincidence? She was the, I think most of us in this room are of the opinion. She's she, just there. She was just she's there. Just there. Uh, the killer was in Bucks Row. Um, some authors have tried to suggest there may have been a previous attack in Bucks Row the same evening, or very close to Bucks Row the same evening. I'm not sure I accept that. Uh, but I think she's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. She walked down, and she'd have been there ten minutes earlier, ten minutes later, she probably wouldn't have met. I, no, I can see your point totally, but the four other murders, do you actually believe they were all committed by the same person? Yes. What, he got, I he actually got, believe that Tabron probably was, and that Mackenzie was as then well. It, I firmly believe it was a he. Yeah. And then he got the taste... Or do you think, oh, we're going on to something else here, Steve? I'm, I'm then, he, then he got the taste for what? He wanted to kill... Because I've got my own theories. We've all no, I think he was just a... <sighs> he was a <laughs> mentally ill person who killed people. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Simple, simple as that. All right. Garden 
Yes. Not normal as you and me would think of it. Okay, any more? Don't be shy. Um, I've just got one question, actually, Steve. I've got a couple. Yep. One, actually, you've, you've asked already. Um, the first question is just, you mentioned earlier about beer houses as yep. opposed to pubs. Can you just explain what the difference is between a beer house and a Beer a pub? house pub. just sold beer. A pub had a license to sell spirits and wine and everything else. And were, were these beer houses generally like open windows where beer was passed not, out? Not or? always. Okay. They could be open windows, but they could also be just buildings that didn't, hadn't paid for the full licence. Didn't have a full, didn't have a full license, and I say there is some speculation that uh, at that stage or a little bit earlier, the Roebuck may have been just a beer house rather than a pub. Okay. But again, it's, there's no actual proof. It's been suggested by some researchers in the past, and because it's been suggested, I feel it should be mentioned if you're doing a whole history. And just the other one I was interested in, you, I was really fascinated to hear you talking about the possible escape routes yep. that the Ripper could have made. That's very, very interesting. I've always felt that. Uh, Wood Yard, that particular alleyway leads straight to the murder site. Yeah. So, do you think it's probable that um, him, um, but that they could have both walked either up Wood's buildings or he could have escaped what, because of the closeness to the murder site? If you ask me for my choice, choice I would suggest yeah. he escapes either by Wood's buildings or Court Street. Uh, Wood's buildings is the shortest and the quickest, but does mean he's going back on himself. And there, there is a night watchman, not right. far away, who's yeah. probably asleep, but uh, and he probably doesn't even know he's know he's there. I think. Or he could go down, down Court Street. Um, I say there's about 15, 16 other possibles, but those are the most logical Sorry. ones. Yeah, no evidence for any of them. Yeah. No. Okay. The, uh, the night watchman. This is the guy. Molshaw. In Winthrop Street. Yeah. yeah. He claimed, of course, that this guy spoke to him. Yes, we don't know who that guy was. We assume, we know that also PC Neal says, and Baxter asks as well, that a guy, an unknown man, passes down Bucks Row after the murder, and people assume that either this person who speaks to Moleshaw is one of the three slaughterhouse guys, or it's this guy who passes down. We don't know. Great. Thank you very much, everyone. Can we have a round of applause for Steve? Thank you. And of course, you can also find the link to Steve's book on the Whitechapel Society Facebook page. Thank you, everyone. And that was Steve Blomer at the August 2019 meeting of the Whitechapel Society. I'd like to thank Steve, Carl Kopick, Steve Ratty, and the entire committee of the Whitechapel Society for making the release of this talk possible. For more information on the Whitechapel Society, please visit their website, whitechapelsociety.com, where you'll discover how to become a member, see information about their future meetings, purchase books, and subscribe to the Whitechapel Society Journal. We are a podcast sponsored by casebook.org, where you will find over 170 roundtable discussions, author interviews, guest speaker talks, and conference presentations all about Jack the Ripper and Victorian and Edwardian true crime. If you have any comments or questions about our podcasts, you can find us on the Casebook message boards or on Facebook and Twitter by searching for RipperCast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.